0: Good morning, it has uh, been a pleasure to worship with you so far, have you been blessed? Yes. Great, good, I hope uh, hope you have been, I hope you will continue to be, uh, I hope the rest of the day is great, we're going to be wet and dry, it appears, the weather uh, seems to not be able to make up its mind, but it's going to be alright, we have a contingency plan. But uh, it's, a, it's a great day, if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 is where we'll be camping out for the next few minutes. And then we'll go eat. Again, if you're visiting with us, we want to uh, just express how much we appreciate you being here uh, and just say welcome and thank you. And if we can do anything uh, to help you, to assist you, we'd love to do that. My name is Jason, and I'll be glad to answer any question uh, that I can. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, we hope you would consider Cornerstone, and we'd be glad to talk to you about it and tell you why you should consider Cornerstone, because this really is a, a, a great place. And all right, right, Cornerstoners? It's a great place, and I, I think you'll, you'll feel, and I think you probably have felt the love uh, that uh, permeates through this place. But today we're, we're talking about being uh, unmasked. This morning, as I was getting ready to, to come over here, we had just finished breakfast and I hear my, my boys having a conversation in the next room. Now miles, my three-year-old that is currently out cold up here on the second row, is talking to his, his older brother and he just poses him a question. He says, he says, "Do you know what God did?" And I'm thinking, oh, this could be great, you know my, my little, Three-year-old boy, has got some theology in him already. He's fixing to tell his brother all about God and what God's done. And he, he asked him again, do you know what God did? And Jackson said, no, what did God do? And Miles says, he punched people in the face. <laughs> that's like a preacher kid fail right there if there ever was one. We're going to have to talk about that. <laughs> I, said, I don't think that's quite what, what God did, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that as you as you get older but it was uh, it was it was pretty funny well as I said we're, we're talking about being unmasked today when let's see in 1978 I went trick-or-treating for the very first time 1978 I was two years old and if uh, you're from the seventies or had kids in the seventies you remember what the Halloween costumes were like back then right they don't touch what kids have today okay kids costumes today are just not fair compared to what we had when we were little okay now then if you're not from the 70s or earlier let me basically tell you what a Halloween costume was for a child okay now in 1978 I was two years old okay the big big movies that were out then were Star Wars okay and I was R2D2 and an R2-D2 costume today looks nothing like an R2-D2 costume did in 1978. It was basically a very thick piece of white plastic. It looked like a, tr- like a trash bag. It had a hole for your head and a hole for your arms, and it had the character painted on the front of it. Remember that? And then you had a mask, a very uh, you know, uh, sharp mask that if you cut it, you could slit your wrist on. Okay, and it had that white string in the back that you could snap on people's heads that had in front of you. Well, that's was my that was my first Halloween. And I, I remember it vividly. I remember turning out of my driveway and walking down the street with my dad as he took me to a few houses and I, I got my bag filled up with, with all of this all of this this sugary goodness. Well, as I grew, began to, you know, trick or treat a little more and eventually, eventually it got to where my brothers and I were old enough to not have to have my parents go with us. Okay, we were like in our 20s. And we were out trick-or-treating this this one particular night, and I've still got the R2-D2 costume on, and it's snug. But we go up to this one house, and this house is perfect. I mean, it is just the house that every kid dreams of on Halloween night. You know, they've got the the, the lights are going, and they've got the scary music, and the owner of the house had uh, you know the dry ice with the water and so it just really was was perfect and sitting on the front porch in a chair was a a figure a, a skeleton and the bowl of candy was in the skeleton's lap and you had to we had to get near this thing okay and like we're we're really like 10 8 9 10 years old and we're like I ain't going near that thing you go near it. No, you go near it. Well, finally we got our courage up and we snuck up there and we realized it was just, you know, nothing. So we got the candy out of the bowl and we turned to go to the next house. Well, I turned to leave and I noticed my, my middle brother, Micah, is not with us. He's still standing on the porch and he's like looking straight into the, the, the face of this skeleton. It had this blue hue on its, on its face and he just reached out and he touched him right in the forehead. And nothing happened. Like, come on, man, let's go. Let's go to the next house. We got more candy to get. His curiosity is, is up by this point. So he takes his finger and he sticks his hand out again and he just puts it on the, the lower part of the jaw right here. And he opened its mouth. I thought, okay, well, it's not real. All right, so let's go. Close his mouth, let's go. Well, he didn't leave. He stood there and he stuck his finger in his mouth. Clamp! The skeleton bit down on him. It was a person who had sat there the whole time. We we're running and falling, tripping. I tore my R2D2 costume to shreds, spilt my candy everywhere. But that was, you know, that's one of the, the, the memories that I have of of Halloween. Uh, you know, but you know, it isn't always. Halloween isn't the only time that we, we put on masks, right? I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, then we have to admit that a, a lot of people, and sometimes a lot of us, we, we put on masks. Am I right? Are you with me? Sometimes we put on masks. Why do we do that? Well, it's to cover something up, isn't it? Something maybe that we're ashamed of. Maybe we've got some regret Uh, in our life maybe there's some shame there and so we we cover it up and we put a mask on or maybe it's a a, a, a abuse that we've come out of maybe it's a habit that is destructive and we don't want people to know so we mask it maybe it's shyness or embarrassment or, or or something that we've done and and a lot of times what we do is we come to church with the masks on we come to the place where if there's any place a person, a human being should be safe and feel safe and feel loved and protected, it's the church, yes or no? We we should feel safe, but a lot of times what we do is we come in the church and we keep the mask on. You know what I'm talking about? Because we don't want people to know what we've done. We don't want people to know what we struggle with. We don't want people to know what it is we're we're dealing with if it's a if it's a habit if it's that 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 secret sin or, or or whatever it is we worry. We worry about what people will will think about us. And so, instead of coming into this place where we can find healing, and we can find hope, and we should be able to find compassion, we mask it. We we cover it up. You know that was exactly the reaction of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, wasn't it? They sinned, their first reaction after sinning was not to say, I'm sorry God, I blew it. Their first reaction was to cover up. Because that's what sin does. It it brings out something inside of us that we want to cover, that we want to mask, that we feel like we need to, to hide from the world. Probably at, at at some time or another, we have all worn different masks. We've all tried to, to cover something up because all of us have something going on in our lives that we're just not comfortable talking about or we don't we don't trust people enough to, to share. What I would encourage you to do this morning, and here, here's the point that I want to make, is that when it comes to our masks, and when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, that we need to step out in faith. Are you with me? We need to step out in faith. In Mark chapter five, we have this uh, this this really is kind of a crazy story but it's a it's a beautiful story jesus demonstrates his his power on on the one hand and he demonstrates his his just complete compassion on on the other the way that the chapter opens he's been in a, a region and he's dealt with the the guy who had the legion of demons you remember that story and he uh he exercised those demons they went into the pigs they ran off into the water and then he left that area, the region of the Gerasenes, and he got in a boat, and he crossed the lake to, to maybe around Capernaum. And he, he got out of the, the, the boat there, and it, the Bible says that a crowd began to, to come to him. Look at, uh, look at verse 21 of Mark chapter 5, or I'll just read it to you. It says, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he kept begging him, my little daughter is at death's door. Come and lay your hands on her so she can get well and live. He's desperate, isn't he? His daughter is sick. His daughter is is dying. And he does what any parent would do. He would turn to someone that they believe can help. And so he turns to Jesus. He says, she's dying. She's sick. Can you help her? Can you heal her? You see, here's the thing. Jairus is the synagogue leader. He is in charge of the synagogue, you know, the place where they would gather for worship. He would make sure that everything is just right. He would make sure the worship is set and it follows a a, a certain uh, format. He would make sure the people are in place as they're supposed to be. Now, he wouldn't do the teaching, but he would make sure that everything runs as it's supposed to. Organizationally, Jairus, the synagogue leader, is not Jesus' best friend. Because there are a lot of the religious leaders who don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. As a matter of fact, he's ruffled quite a few feathers. Because he comes as one who teaches with authority. He says, you've heard it this way, but let me tell you this. And, you know, he raises the standard of how they're supposed to be living their lives. And it upset a lot of them. And so, it is unusual to see someone like Jairus coming to Jesus, but when you're desperate, what happens? All that stuff goes out the window, right? When you're desperate and you need help, you don't care about pretense, right? You don't care about what people think of you. All you care about is I've got to get some help for my child. And so he comes running to Jesus. And it says that he falls down at the feet of Jesus and says, my daughter is is dying. Please come and help. Verse 24 says, so Jesus went with him. And a large crowd was following. And pressing against Him. The crowd is, is there. They've heard about Jesus by this point. They've heard the, about the, the miracles. They've heard about His teachings. And this is the, the part in His ministry where people were just flocking to Him. And so now the crowd is following along in tow with Jesus and Jairus in, in hopes of, of, of seeing a miracle. And it says that they're, they're pressing against in on them. That's an important phrase, and and, and we'll come back to that in in, in just a few minutes. But it's as they are making their way to Jairus' house to heal this this 12-year-old little girl, that the next character in the story comes sort of stumbling onto the stage. Verse 25. says, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She'd spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Did did you notice the progression? Did you notice the progression in there? She'd suffered from this, this bleeding for 12 years. She'd been to doctors. Doctors couldn't help her. They'd taken all her money and instead of getting better she's now worse she has been bleeding for 12 years she's dealing with a a chronic menstrual cycle and during this this time during this time For a woman, during that that time of, of the month, that week or however long it would be, the woman would be considered ceremonially unclean. And she would have to leave the community that she lived in. And a lot of times, they would gather outside of town or outside of the community. And the women would be there during that time and then they'd be clean and they'd return back to the community. And so, she went out. And other women probably went out, but as as they became clean, she didn't and she had to stay. She's gone to see doctors. They can't do anything to help her. The only option that's left is to go and to, to show herself to a priest. And the priest would determine that she's been bleeding far beyond her time and he gives her a new name. And that name is unclean. Unclean equals banishment. She cannot return to her community while in this condition. She's she's ostracized. Separated from her her, her family, from her, from her friends. And you can imagine that she is completely desperate. She's, she's forced into hiding. But somehow or another, she too, like Jairus, she's heard about Jesus. Maybe as some of the women from the community came out to the camp, they began to talk about Jesus. This healer. They began to talk about Jesus. And she hears about Jesus and it it stirs some hope inside her. Now then watch what happens. Verse 27. Having heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his robe. For she said, if I can just touch his robes, I'll be made well. This is a tremendous risk that this woman is taking because it's illegal for her to re-enter the community with the unclean status. But just like Jairus, she's desperate. And so she's going to do the only thing she knows to do. And, And her faith is demonstrated I don't have to touch Jesus and she the reason why she doesn't touch Jesus is because she doesn't want to make Jesus ceremonially unclean. And she thinks if I can just touch his robes then I'll be made whole again. And so she sneaks into the crowd, the crowd that is on the way to the house of Jairus. And she works her way in behind Jesus and she reaches out and she touches his robe and verse 29 says instantly instantly is an important word you see it all throughout the book of Mark immediately instantly her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction at once you know, Jesus realizes this. He, he, he realizes the power has gone out from him. you. Know, I don't know if he felt it, I don't know if it's like an audible thing or what but he knows the, the power has, has left his body. in verse 30 says he, he starts turning in through the crowd and he is asking who touched my robe Now then the idea is that the crowd is pressing in on them. Uh, you ever been to New York City around Times Square or someplace that's very busy? Kind of get that picture in your mind. Okay, where you the, think about the crowds are, are, are kind of pressing or if you've gone to a, a concert or something like that and you're leaving or you're trying to get in and the crowd is just, just, just crushing in on you and that's what they're in and Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? You know, his disciples are thinking, everybody, everybody touched you, Jesus. How can you ask, How can you ask who touched me? But Jesus and the woman know that something has happened. They know that there is a divine transaction that has taken place. And so Jesus is searching for this woman. It is important to him that he finds her, that he makes personal contact and touch with her so that she knows this isn't just some some magic trick. but it's the healing power from Jesus. And he finds her. Verse 33 says, The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came with fear and trembling and fell down before him. Why? I mean, she's taken something. She's taken something without asking. But a lot of times, that's what desperation leads us to do. But the way Mark words this, he says that she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. The whole truth is going to take some time. You don't quickly tell a story of suffering that's 12 years long. She's telling him about the doctors. She's telling him about her condition and how she's been isolated and how she's been separated. She's telling him the whole story and Jesus, I can just imagine Jesus sitting there in the road listening to this This woman. And after she tells the story, Jesus calls her something that he doesn't call any other person in Scripture. He calls her daughter. And he says, Daughter? And by doing that, you know what Jesus is saying? She's mine. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. He's not only saying she's mine by calling her daughter, when he says go in peace, he's also saying go under my protection. Nobody can harm you. Nobody Nobody can put a hand on you. So she would have gone and showed herself to the priest and been pronounced clean and been able to return back to her family. She stepped out in faith to touch the Savior and she's made whole. It's a beautiful story. But we sometimes forget there's another story that's going on. Because Jairus is standing somewhere in this crowd, probably near Jesus, probably listening to this, probably fretting, probably thinking, when is this going to end? When are we going to get to the house? My daughter is sick and dying, and it's in that moment that that some people from Jairus' house, they show up, They say, leave, leave Jesus alone. Your daughters, your daughters die. Imagine what, what Jairus is, is feeling. Imagine what's going on in his, in his mind and uh, in his, his heart. But Jesus looks at Jairus. in verse 36, he says, don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, John, just, just believe. Can you imagine how difficult that would be to believe in that moment? I mean, we've got the benefit of 2,000 years, and it's tough to believe. I can't imagine what Jairus is, is feeling in this moment other than horror. Verse 37 says, He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion. People weeping and, and, and wailing loudly. That's the, the, the professional mourners. You know those people are they're hired to go to the house of, of someone who has passed away and they wail loudly and, 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 and openly. Their job is to make a scene as they mourn and we think man why would you do that? Why would, why would anybody do something like that? But realistically, realistically maybe that's one of the more Jesus-like things people should do during death. You see, because a lot of times when somebody dies, what we want to do, we want to hold it together. We don't want people to see us. The reason you have those professional mourners is so that the family could grieve as openly as they wanted to and wail as loudly as they needed to without shame. And So it's really a compassionate thing. And so Jesus and Jairus and the three apostles arrive at the house Verse 39 says, he went in and he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but asleep. And they started laughing at him. But he put them all outside. He took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and he entered the place where the child was. And he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kum, which is translated little girl, I say to you, get up. And then here's that word immediately. Immediately, the girl got up and she began to walk. And then do you notice as you read, there's a little note there? How old was she? Twelve years old. Do you see the parallel? The woman had suffered for 12 years. Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. At this they were utterly astounded. He gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that she should be given given something to, to eat. That's a beautiful story. You got these these two people, Jairus the synagogue ruler, and you have this woman who is unclean. These are are, are two people who are not going to be in the presence of, of, of Jesus. They're not, you know. The synagogue leader is would be pretty much opposed to Jesus in a lot of ways. But yet he's desperate. He needs Jesus. And so he throws off whatever anybody thinks about him. He takes off the mask, and he runs to Jesus, and he falls down at his feet and says, please, please come heal my daughter. And then you've got the woman who is considered unclean, cannot return to her home, has to live out in this community, but somehow hears about Jesus, realizes that is her only hope, and she takes a risk, and she enters into the crowd behind Jesus. She reaches out, she touches his robes, and she's healed. Both Jairus and the woman, they stepped out in faith. That's what they did. They stepped out in their faith. why is that story in the Bible? I mean, what are we supposed to, to take away from it? what well, it may speak different things to, to, to each one of us. But I think one of the, the points is that we should do the same thing. That we need to step out in our faith. That we need to not worry about what people think about us or what they're going to say about us because what we need more than anything is the touch of Jesus in our lives. And we need to step out in faith and go to Jesus. A lot of us, we come to church and we come in wearing the mask. We hide it. We make sure everything is perfect. You know, we got things going on at home things that are going on at work. We may have all this turmoil that we're living in. And a lot of times, you know, we don't want people to know about it. So we go pulling up to the church, and it may be total chaos up to that moment. But as soon as we step out of the car, it's like, hey, brother, hey, sister, we put on the mask, and we make sure that everything looks fine, that everything is tucked in and neat, and nothing's hanging out because... Because we don't want people to know what's going on with us, the church should not be like that. The church is 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 supposed to be, the hospital. The church is the place where, where you and I come. And because we we love one another we're able to say, hey, look, this is what I'm dealing with. Here's how I'm hurting. Here's how I blew it this week. Here's something that I said that I shouldn't have said. And find healing in that. You see, I think that's what Jesus envisioned when he told Peter that on that rock, Peter, or on the rock that that Jesus is the Messiah that he was going to build his church. I think that's what he envisioned. This, this community of people, this, these called out people who are going to honor God with their lives, but they're also going to help one another bear their burdens. That's what he calls us to. And it might be that, that you're here this morning and you've come here, you've got the mask on, but you know how tiring that is. Okay? just like wearing the Halloween mask, what happens? You can't breathe good. When you're putting on that mask to cover up, that's that's a burden. Jesus wants us to take off our masks and come to Him to step out in, in faith. So that's what I would encourage you to do this morning. If that's you and if that's that's how you've come this morning, what I want to tell you is, you know what, you're, you're in a safe place. And what you're going to find is people just like you. You're going to find people that are flawed, starting at the top. From the leadership down, you're going to find flawed people. We all have scars, we all have ways that we struggle. I blow it all the time. And so you won't be alone. Now, I mean, you may struggle differently, you know, my, my, my mentor says, yo, we all struggle, we just do it in different skin. We struggle in, in, in different ways. But we all struggle. Okay, whatever burden it is that you're carrying, you don't have to, to hold on to it. You don't have to, to keep carrying it, keep covering it up, whatever it might be. You can take the mask off and you can come to Jesus. All it takes is that you step out in faith like, like Jairus and like that woman. Jesus is ready to heal. He's ready to say to you, daughter or son, Go in in peace, your faith has made you whole. But it starts by coming to him. And so if you need to, to let a burden go today, I invite you to do that. If you need to take the mask off and say, hey, this is who I am, you can do that as well. Maybe you've never stepped out in faith at all. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and today is that day when you say Jesus is Lord and you give your life to Him and you're buried with Him in baptism you're given new life, your sins are washed away and you become part of the kingdom of heaven. All that that needs is a step of faith. But see in the moment we're going to be in the, in the tension of a song. Okay and we're going to start singing that song and in that moment Satan is going to ramp up the tension. And he's going to convince you that you don't need to do anything. That you need to stand where you are. You need to keep your mouth shut. You need to keep the mask on. You don't need to move. Or he's just going to distract you in some other way. That's the battle that is getting ready to take place. Don't let anything keep you from coming to Jesus today. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, if we can baptize you into the name of Jesus Christ today, why don't you come while we stand together and while we sing?